Uh, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're continuing in our studies in the book of Matthew. And actually, uh, tonight, um, uh, we're going to look at two chapters, chapter 19 and 20. And I will read the passage at length and then um, uh, do my best to give a quick overview um, of, of what Jesus is, is teaching in this section. And this actually brings us up to uh, his last week on earth in his earthly ministry. And so um, chapter 20 uh, ends and then Passion Week begins uh, with 21. And so uh, let's look to God in his word. Um, Matthew chapter 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They say to him, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive uh, receive this receive it. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me uh, because of my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, 
one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them uh, to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. The word of the Lord for us tonight. Thanks be to God. And so... um, the title of my sermon is called Kingdom Grace, Kingdom Mercy. Um, we've been in the book of Matthew for the entire year, um, and we are now approaching the end of uh, the gospel according to Matthew. And as we get closer and closer to the cross, Jesus becomes, um, his teaching becomes clearer and clearer. And so in this section, we see his third prediction of his death and resurrection. And it couldn't get any clearer than this. He says exactly what will happen to him uh, in in the coming, very shortly after this point. And so um, chapters 19 and 20 are, uh, as we've been studying, um, the fourth major teaching section in Matthew's gospel. And it's the later Perean ministry of Jesus. Now, Perea was uh, a a region um, kind of south, uh, and Jesus had been up in Galilee, and now he went down toward Jerusalem, and this is his last trip uh, to Jerusalem uh, before his death and resurrection. And so, um, as Jesus is going down, he's in a new region here. Um, This Perean region is on the other side of the Jordan River, Um, modern-day Jordan, I believe. And uh, this section is about a six-week period in the year AD 30. And so on his way down, um, there are crowds with them, it says here. Uh, Again, verse 2 of chapter 19, Jesus heals uh, many as they follow him. And, of course, there are uh, what we've seen before. Um, There are the religious leaders who, who confront Jesus, and there's a confrontation. And they have this uh, almost, um, uh, yeah, very much, a theological question about uh, divorce. 
And in that day, there were two schools of thought. There was Hillel and Shammai. And so one of the schools taught um, that a man could divorce his, his wife for basically any reason at all, um, even if she burnt his toast, uh, bad cooking, he, he could divorce her. And, and, and Shammai taught that a man could divorce his, his wife only for a gross indecency. So um, the question is posed to Jesus, but it's a test. It's a trap. And what does Jesus do? He, he doesn't talk about what is permitted so much as what God intended. And so if we look here, they bring up the scripture, Deuteronomy 24, Moses commanded one to give a certificate of divorce. Now, Moses didn't command anyone to divorce, uh, but there was a provision, an allowance made in extreme cases. And so this, uh, this verse in, in Deuteronomy seems to align more with the Shammai uh, uh, teaching of gross indecency. Uh, but Jesus goes back to what God intended in his creation design. And so in creation, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, God reveals to us his purpose for marriage. And he says that uh, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It also says here, um, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus talks about intention, and they are emphasizing what is permitted or what's allowed. Um, now, we might say, okay, there, you know, a lot of times for us, um, maybe an application, we have a lot of theological conversations with our brothers and sisters, um, and sometimes uh, we end up with abstractions. Um, but Jesus brings it, uh, ba- always brings it back to God in a personal relationship to him. And what did God originally intend? So divorce in scripture is contrary to God's design for man and women and is thus rebellion against his will, his original will. So separating what he has joined together. The scriptures make allowance for, um, in extreme cases, uh, Jesus said here, sexual immorality and adultery, um, mirroring his teaching from Matthew chapter 5, verse 32 as well. But divorce is never mandated in scripture, even in cases of divorce, forgiveness and repentance are possible through God's grace. So uh, Jesus, again, emphasizes God's original design. And the Apostle Paul uh, speaks of marriage and divorce um, or marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. And he talks about uh, in the case of abandonment. So there's a a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, spouse, and one is abandoned. What are they to do? and uh, allowance is made for uh, that marriage to be dissolved. But the normative teaching of Scripture is God's original intent. So we need to catch what God intends um, when it comes to marriage. 
So uh, the disciples reply to Jesus, well, it's better not to marry at all. Um, and Jesus is kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, not everyone can, can do this and live this way. Um, and the singleness is a gift uh, Jesus teaches. And there are some that, that are uh, physiologically uh, incapable uh, of reproducing. So he says, eunuchs who have been so from birth. Others have been made eunuchs from others. And that was the case like in uh, the book of Esther. Those who, who uh, served in the court were made eunuchs so that they were um, not a danger to the women in the, in the king's uh, court. And then finally, he said, those who, who makes themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And so Jesus basically says the normative teaching is marriage, uh, but singleness is a gift to those that God gives it to. Um, so both Paul and Jesus uh, teach the normative teaching of marriage um, and family. Well, we move on, and, and in this journey to Jerusalem, Jesus encounters a, a, a young man who's very rich, and he asks Jesus um, about what he must do. Uh, so he, he, in his heart, gravitates towards works instead of repentance and faith. What must I do uh, to uh, in, inherit um, eternal life? And so Jesus tells him... Um, and, and, and kind of, uh, he, he begins with where this man is. He says, only when, um, basically here, only when this man recognizes that the standard is unattainable and comes to admit his spiritual bankruptcy, will he turn from human merit to God's grace. Well, the young man does not see his failure. He only sees his accomplishments, and he recognizes he still lacks something. So Jesus... Um, like he uh, usually does, looks at the heart. And he looks at the deeper issue of this man's heart. And he tells him, go back to the law and see. And it's really interesting. Jesus gives him these commands. And all of these can be summarized with love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he senses he lacks something. And so Jesus challenges him uh, because his focus is external. He challenges him in his heart. Sell everything you have. Uh, because this earthly treasure you have actually imprisons your heart. Well, it says the man didn't become angry. He became sorrowful. He was saddened. And so um, this might indicate that he, he had a divided heart. Uh, he wanted to follow Jesus, but he also wanted to keep the things of this world in the same place. And so um, the... the uh, the disciples are quite astonished when Jesus says that um, it's really difficult. Uh, with much dif- difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. In their mind, uh, riches and material wealth meant God's blessing, uh, God's favor. And so they were astonished. And Jesus says all people, all people basically can be saved um, because salvation depends on the redeeming ability of God, not on the extremity of human condition. And so it doesn't matter how extreme a person's uh, condition is, 
it, it depends on God's ability to save, and God saves those he so chooses out of his sovereign will. So the disciples reply, well, we've done this, Jesus. You told this, this young man to sell his things and come follow me. We've done this. Peter again speaks up. And when he does, Jesus speaks about the future. And this is a gentle rebuke um, for Peter's short-sightedness. Peter's basically asking, see, we've left everything to follow you. So what about us? What do we have? And Jesus tells them about then and what is to come. And in, in the word in the, the original language is um, the regeneration. Uh, Jesus calls it here in the new world. When the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones. And uh, Jesus makes these astonishing promises. Uh, he reveals that he is the king of the heavenly kingdom and that his disciples will reign and rule with him. And they very much hear this, as we heard here at the end of this chapter, the mother's request. They're really concerned about the throne. But Jesus makes this statement in, in verse 30, and it's repeated many times in Matthew, uh, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And in this, in this um, when Jesus is talking about it in verse 29, he says that there are blessings for the disciple in this life now, uh, houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands, for those who follow him and, and, and commit to him for his namesake. And then he says a hundredfold will, will inherit eternal life as well. So promises for now and promises for, for then. Mark's gospel says with persecutions, and Jesus is not going to leave out that same theme here. Um, suffering is very much a part of the Christian life, about, of the life of discipleship. And we'll see that in just a moment. And so the, the parable that Jesus uses in, in, in explaining this concept is very much tied to this. Many who are first will be last and the last first. We could ask the question, well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus gives us a parable and we see this that there were people that came and worked for a landowner from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They came at different times. Uh, the first group made an agreement, and he said, I will pay you a day's wage, a denarius. And then the second and third and fourth and fifth group that came, uh, he did not say a day's wages. He said, I'll pay you what is right, whatever is right. And then when Jesus... Uh, uh, explains the story, he says that the payment was given in reverse order. So it's illustrative of his point. The first will be last, the last will be first. Then he continues in, to use this first and last uh, language, and it says that they grumbled when they saw that they didn't get more uh, than those who came and just worked one hour. They've worked in the, the heat of the day. When, when I read this uh, many years ago, I, I thought, well, um, grace is not fair. Um, grace is not fair, and it's a good thing that maybe that would be my, my sermon on this passage. But actually, this passage is not talking so much about begrudging fairness because they made an agreement early in the day, and uh, they said, okay, I agree to that. And so the master of the house um, the master of the vineyard 
uh, holds to his agreement. So it's not so much about fairness, but they are begrudging his generosity to others. And so uh, as king, Jesus has the right to say this is how it is and to do whatever he will. Um, And disciples, uh, Christians, will be rewarded far more than they deserve and immeasurably more than all their sacrificial merit. And so we see um, in this section many different, uh, many different um, examples of those who are trying to engage with Jesus uh, uh, on the grounds of merit or works. Uh, we saw last week with Jesus' parable about forgiveness, um, the man who owed uh, like billions of, of, of uh, was in debt in billions of KD. Um, he said, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So his plea was for patience and he wanted to work off his debt. Um, but in 1833, he said, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so Jesus' kingdom and the way that we relate to him, it's not an abstraction of, you know, God gives us uh, this gift of grace or he gives us this uh, measure of mercy. Uh, he gives us Christ, and the way to come to him is through his merit. There's only one person who um, will earn, earn salvation. The rich young man found that he fell short and was not able to do what Jesus required of him. But Jesus gives himself as an example in his third prediction of his death and resurrection. He says, look at me, even me, the son of man, uh, I am going to die and be delivered and crucified and raised. And so we, um, if we're not careful, we can have a misunderstanding of the Christian life, that, that God is on our side and uh, we have glory without suffering uh, or a crown without a cross. But Jesus, um, which he just clearly, uh, it's, it's just so ironic that he pre- makes a prediction of his death and resurrection. And then James and John's mother comes and they are talking about status and being in the kingdom and who will be, uh, can we have the best seats? And Jesus talks about his cup, and the cup, as we see also in Matthew 26, is a metaphor for God's righteous wrath and his holy anger. And so he says, will you suffer? Um, And they say, we will. And actually, um, something beautiful about the Gospels and the Bible, uh, we get to see the disciples early on in their faith journey, and we also get to see many of them later on. And James, who's here, And John, who's here, along with Peter, are are the three closest disciples to Jesus. They're in the inner circle. And James would be the first martyr among the apostles. In Acts 12, he was killed. John, his brother, um, would would suffer in Acts 4, uh, persecution from the Sanhedrin. And later he'd be exiled to Patmos, and the book of Revelation would come to him. Uh, and he would write it down on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so later on, we see a mature faith in these disciples' lives. But early on, uh, we see things that just uh, are not in alignment with the kingdom sometimes. Uh, 
One thing that's interesting here is Zebedee, um, his wife here, the mother of the, the, these two, two guys, um, many scholars think she was Salome, uh, Mary's sister, Mary the mother of Jesus, and she was at the cross. She was among the first of the resurrection. So this is a really special family to Jesus. And, and some, some scholars, it's hard to absolutely prove it from Scripture, they think that James and John were actually Jesus' first cousins, and this was his aunt. Um, and so she was coming using her position in the family in a, in a physical sense, um, biological sense, to kind of advance the cause. Well, the other ten, they're indignant um, at these two brothers. They're angry. Uh, perhaps they wanted to be, you know, in this in the seat of privilege. Well, Jesus gives them his own this this illustration of his own death and resurrection. Again, not about uh, status, but about being a servant. And there's so much about servant leadership here in these few verses from 25 to 28. Um, Jesus compares leadership in the world with leadership in the kingdom, and he says here that. Um, in order to lead in God's kingdom, you have to first become a servant. You have to go down before you are exalted. And there's no pursuing the positions of power. Positions of power are appointed to those that God calls and God chooses for. And so Jesus tells them, you don't understand what you're asking. And he teaches them, well, leadership in the kingdom is very different than leadership in the world. Uh, Several years ago, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but I took a course and my professor, um, he said to me in our, our class, I have to repent of a Gentile form of leadership nearly every day. The world that we live in, the values of the world seep in and uh, God's kingdom and his ways are very different than that of the world. So grace and mercy, kingdom of grace, kingdom of mercy. Grace and mercy brings us low in God's kingdom. We're not competing with one another and vying for positions, but we are to become servants like Jesus. He is our example. And the highest positions are sovereignly granted, not pursued. And to those who are qualified servants, God appoints. So this frees us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and his cause and to promote Christ and not our own self-interests. But we see here the disciples, they're, they're still wrapped up a little bit and have been programmed by the world. And so Jesus, through his teaching, um, through his patience, through his mercy and grace, through the relationship they have with him, is changing them and transforming them. So here are a few applications um, we end with, you know, these two blind men, and they actually cry out in the right, right heart attitude. They call out for who Jesus is. They call out for mercy, and Jesus stops and hears their cry, and he heals them. So here are a few applications. He suffered and sacrificed comfort, security, status in order to redeem others. We are to do the same in, in, in a sense to set aside perhaps career prospects or monetary gain, personal prestige, or other natural human pursuits uh, to promote God's kingdom and his rule among his people. 
another lesson that Jesus teaches us in this section is that the disciples and Christians are to be servants, not lords, little l. Um, There is one Lord, and that is Jesus, but we are to be servants, not lords. So now our lives include sacrifice and suffering, and in some instances, death, but then we will reign with him. Um, We are to lead by serving, and there's a difference. uh, Is there a difference between selfish ambition and holy aspiration? Uh, Does a believer have to drain one's drive towards personal accomplishment to develop a servant attitude? It's a really difficult question uh, because we want to be uh, skilled and excellent in what we do in our jobs, but it's easy, especially in my country, to get so wrapped up in work and to work for... Uh, in an ungodly way, Uh, but the New Testament teaches us that whatever we do, do it unto God and not to men. And so Jesus shows us, he teaches us what servant leadership is, and he shows us what servant leadership is as he goes to the cross and takes his disciples with him. Um, So let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you, and this is a large section, a lot to digest, But we thank you, Jesus, that you um, are the grace and mercy of God that we need and that you're never too busy to meet people. Um, You are focused, your your heart and your mind are set on your mission to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, to bear the sins of the world, to die uh, for your people and to be raised. But even then, on your way to the cross, uh, the, the children come and you say, don't hinder them. Um, when James and John's mother comes with a request, you stop and listen to her. When a young man comes, you stop and listen to him. And when these two blind men cry out from Jericho, you listen to their call when the crowds are pushing them away. And I pray that you would help us not to be too busy, help us not to be too focused, even on uh, holy aspiration or, or godly good things that we ignore people in our lives. Help us to be like you. Help us to be servants uh, and not lords. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.